Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we again have a half team, like a just paraplegic the two team. of us building castles in the sky. Just the two of us. Right? Can you tell it's you not telling? Well, <laughs> <with me. laughs> you're both inclined to sing at periods. We have he's far better with me today, Martin Theobald, and. We yep. oh we oh I forgot we do have Terry. There is a Terry Chapendama. There is a Terry in the studio. So, uh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, who have I got next to me in the studio? The least trusted, the most disliked in boxing, Terry Chapendama. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> we have a Terry Chapendama soundboard. <laughs> it's the greatest thing you'll ever hear. Um, we'll, and he will be uh, interacting with us. Throughout the podcast. However, we have the sounds recorded. We just need to work out where <laughs> no. they're going to fit in at some point. <laughs> He's here. We'll, we'll, we'll violently shoehorn them into them. However, <laughs> they're too good not to use. <laughs> yeah. So, I've had a busy weekend of work. Nothing particularly exciting. Uh, but you have had a slightly more exciting and interesting weekend than me, Martin. Especially today. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've spent today over with Steve Goodwin. Um, he's been doing a day of promotional stuff for his fighters. So uh, it's probably it's one of the things that sets him apart, I think, from other small hall promoters is his ability to really promote the fighters. So they've been getting the lads, uh, they've had about 25, 30 of their fighters in um, doing stuff in front of the green screen, so the shadow boxing and whatever, um, taking them down to their gym to record some footage. So all of this goes into their entrance. So when you see, if you ever go down to a Goodwin show, and you see up on the big screens, they have uh, entrance videos for each of the fighters that's got their name and then like footage of them uh, shadow boxing and stuff in the gym is done today. Um, and they also use, they've started to use like fight posters where the lads, are, they put video clips over the top of the static fight posters. So there'll be shadow boxing and what have you on that, which is a little bit different. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's quite cool. Um, I've been doing Facebook live videos with each of the. Uh, the fighters, there's an interesting, uh, you know, we were able to break uh, their first female boxer uh, that they've signed, which is Angela Hebden, former world kickboxing champion, um, trains under Don Child, uh, Don Charles, sorry. Um, Angela's a lovely girl. Uh, she's, yeah, she's looking, hopefully she'll pass all of her board um, tests and that. They'll be looking to debut her sometime, probably about May, June. Which would be a, uh, you know, it's great. Women's boxing's on a massive high at the moment. So Angela being in there is uh, is great for the London scene. Um, there's also a few other, few other names in the hopper for women's fighters that I know Steve's looking at. Uh, they've had Sam O'Reilly. Shout out to Sam, uh, who's been in there doing stuff for uh, the Fight Talk website, doing interviews with each of the lads uh, on the video. So yeah, just a really busy day. Say so 25, 30 of these. Boxers coming through did a, a head-to-head with Jose Lopez and Ozzy Gervier ahead of their Fight Cup uh, cruiserweight 
um, semi-final they've got on March 11th down at York Hall. So two big boys, both very talented. Jervier, big hitter. Uh, Jose Lopez, a slightly more slick, technical fighter. So that'll be a really, really good tear-up on that one. Uh, Jordan Joseph was in, who's fighting for the Southern Area light heavyweight title on March 11th. Um, they've had Eric Ochieng in, who's fighting for the English uh, welterweight title. Michael Ramblatza, who's fighting for the English uh, Super Bantamweight that's title. A cool, that's a cool surname. Ramblatza. He's a cool man. <laughs> Honestly, man, he comes in, he's blinged out. Like, oh, oh, wow, what a dress sense. Uh, excuse me, what's your name? Mr. Ramablatza. Ramablatza. All right, okay, mate. do what you want, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he turns up in like this Versace. Honestly, like, it looked like he'd walked through a glue factory and then through a Versace factory and <laughs> he just had all this stuff thrown on him. It wouldn't have worked on any other person. Come, come out of a Michael Jackson video. Or yeah, yeah, it's exactly that look. Um, but, yeah, what a cool man. Uh, but just a great team down there. They're really doing things. I was chatting with a few of the fighters. Um, Nathan Weezer was down there was saying that for the day he felt like Floyd Mayweather he said you know this is what professional boxing's about is getting promoted properly by the people in charge of your career he said he felt like Floyd Mayweather doing interviews doing stuff in front of green screens that will go on to his entrance videos he said you know it just it felt special oh, being cool. a fighter involved in that um yeah heard a few things that you know I can't say about um but you know keep an eye out for what they're doing down there because there's some absolutely brilliant um stuff going on. I say unfortunately I can't tell you what it all is. Um but it'll all come out in the wash over the next you know, by the end of March expect some big news coming out of that lot. How big? Big. Big really, 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 really big. Well we're not talking world titles, <laughs> but you know, some <laughs> recognizable names. They've already got um Frank Buglioni signed up on the management side. Um they've already got Derek Chisora down there. They've got English title holders. They've got the likes of Johnny Garton, who's held English titles. They've got um, you know, Josh Kennedy, Michael Ramabalatza fighting for the English title, um, as well as Eric Ochieng and John O'Donnell. Uh, that March 18th card down at York Hall, get yourself to it if you're free on March 18th, because there's uh, you know, those two fights for the English titles. There's Waddy Camacho, Carl Wheeler for the Southern Area, as well as some quality undercard fighters like Michael Devine's going to be on there. A few others like top, top prospects. Linus Udofi was down with today. Uh, yeah, look, I can't speak highly enough of it. They're a top team, top people, and they promote fighters at that level and, you know, hopefully soon to be above. Uh, and it's it's an interesting setup. It's good. So do you agree it's going to be big, Terry? Yes, Good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's one more um, interesting one coming out of it. Michael Devine is going to be defending his uh, Southern Area lightweight title in um, April, I think it is, against Jamie Arlane. And then he's going to look to fight for the English super featherweight title, which is out to purse bids. I know you guys were discussing it last week whilst I wasn't here. It's out to purse bids. Uh, I think it's Carl Greaves, who is Sam Bowen's promoter, that is uh, fighting Michael Devine. So, see who wins out of that one. I know there's some plans for, uh, you know, if Devine or Goodwin wins the purse bids on Devine's behalf, there's some plans for that. Um, yeah, so now a good day, really exciting, um, and just loads going on down there. So, I say keep an eye out. Yeah, it does sound really exciting. Loads of stuff going on. Hey, Terry. Yes. Based on what Martin said, would you say that Steve Goodwin's, you know, possibly the fastest growing small hall promoter in the country? I can see why people would say that. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more, Terry. Um, 
So why don't you give us the lowdown on the Adrian Broner fight and uh, also the Lamont Peterson fight? Broner versus Granados. Good fight. Um, carries on the tradition this year of having really stellar cards on these shows. It looks like Al Heyman's trying to get his money back and he's getting fans excited about these fights. Whatever you think of Broner, whatever you think of Granados, this was definitely a fight where the two stars made for an entertaining fight. You know, if you look at it in a high-level term, if Broner boxed 10 to 12 rounds solidly like he can do, then guys like Granados would get hurt badly. But it's that fact that he refuses to do that or is unable to do that that makes it so entertaining. You, know, you look at Broner, he has every shot in the book. Footwork is really good. A lot of people say he's like a mini Mayweather. Well, actually, he's more like a a bigger version of Mark Two Sharp Johnson. So if you can Google Mark Two Sharp Johnson, watch him. I know he's the Southpaw and people pull me up on that. But Mark Two Sharp Johnson has that kind of jerky style with the wide swing hooks that Broner loves. And you can imagine because Two Sharp is quite big in the DC scene, that the whole DMV camp, Barry Hunter, Headbangers, and those guys would probably be feeding some of these techniques into Broner, hence the wide swings, the quite, you know, the sort of jerky style that he has when he's trying to close opponents down. I was impressed. Broner's been off for a while. Granados is tough. With the right promoter behind him in the right camp, Granados would be a world champion at 147. I don't doubt that for a second. Might even be a world champion at 140. Ricky Burns would not want to fight Adrian Granados. So it was good that Broner took care of him. You know, Broner's obviously thinking ahead. Who does Broner fight next? Saddam Ali, Jesse Vargas, someone of that ilk who's not going to do too much damage and will give him a chance to showcase his skills. But it was an okay performance by Broner, par for the course. David Avanesian versus Lamont Peterson was probably the most entertaining fight of the night, notwithstanding the Thomas Williams Jr. versus Marcus Brown fight, which you know we can go in and discuss later. But Peterson coming back off a 16-month layoff, it would appear, looked good. Um, first couple of rounds of the fight, looked wonderful behind the jab, controlled the distance. Once he realized the threat coming back wasn't that great, decided to sit in the pocket and trade. And Peterson, as we saw in the Amir Khan fight, is a master of working the body, can find those angles, is super creative with the combinations that he throws. Avanessian just threw volume at him. You know, that, that typical, just loads of bottle, loads of work rate, like British coaches tend to give you. But there was no real artistry or, or intelligence to it. You didn't really get the sense he knew how he was trying to break down Lamont Peterson. Or that he'd even scouted Lamont Peterson. So I thought run-of-the-mill win for Peterson, who wins the WBA regular title, which is good for him. Makes him a real factor at 147 now. You know, who does he fight? Who does he beat at 147? I don't see him getting hurt by a lot of these guys. So I think he'll give anyone a chance because he's a 12-round fighter. Um, he'd give Garcia all kinds of problems. He'd give Khan problems. I don't know if he'd give Brook problems or Spence. Thurman, 50-50. But he's in that he's in that space. You know, He's obviously not going to fight Broner for promotional reasons. So you look at the rest of the field, and he's going after the same characters that Broner would be going after. Relatively light hitters with not so much work rate, so he can outwork them. You know, but 
Let's see him at 147. I think he's a good fighter. He's into the sunset of his career. Let him get a good few paydays before he retires. He deserves it. His story is incredible. You know, the work he's done with Barry Hunter and establishing Hunter as one of the great boxing thinkers of our generation. Marcus Brown v. Thomas Williams Jr. Wow. Um, worth watching just for the stoppage. That might be the punch of the year. Seemingly smashed Thomas Williams Jr.'s jaw. It looked a hellish punch. Just strangely enough, caught Williams flat-footed and really cracked him with the right hook. It's almost like he, he lent into it. Delayed reaction on the knockdown, but it was the third knockdown of the fight. Williams Jr. was outclassed. Marcus Brown looks like he might be the truth at 175. You know, can box, can punch as a southpaw, knows how to manage the distance. Um, I was impressed. Probably the first time I've really studied him. We don't know what he's like going backwards simply because Williams Jr. felt the power and was hesitant to attack after that. Felt Brown could have probably taken him out earlier. Not enough three and four punch combinations, which when someone's not punching back is what you need to do. A, it excites the fans. B, gets the work done quicker. So Brown needs to work on that, knowing where he is in a fight, knowing where he has the advantage, and then just you know putting the hammer down and exploiting that, which a lot of people don't do. But definitely worth it for that six-round knockdown. Um, you know, replays, everything. Just watch it. That's boxing at its brutal best. But in the side issue and unrelated, you are starting to worry about how many jaws are being broken in boxing. Um, you know, elite-level fighters. You know, Thomas Williams Jr. was a very tough man. Like, you know, you saw it last year with Scott Quigg. We need to start asking, where has this come from? Because, you know, we've been boxing for generations and it hasn't been this prevalent. So slightly concerned, need to ask some questions. Do we need to make boxing slightly safer? Thank you very much, Terry. Um, articulate and thorough as always. Uh, Titch at Titular81 asks, if Brona could make lightweight again, where do you reckon he features among current champions? To start with, it has to be possibly the most hypothetical question in boxing is uh, Adrian Broner making lightweight. I mean, that's similar at the moment to saying, you know, if Anthony Joshua could make lightweight, like Broner would have to be cutting a leg off to be getting in there. It's not quite the same. (laughs) (laughs) But Broner, um, you know, for all his talents, he's always lacked that discipline or certainly of modern era since the Maidana fight. Uh, If he could make it, Look, who have you got in there? You've got Robert Easter Jr. Uh, I think Robert Easter Jr. would be all wrong for uh, Adrian Broner. I think his work rate alone would uh, would cause Adrian Broner all sorts of issues. However, you know, Anthony Crawler um, up against Adrian Broner. You know, if you're talking to peak Broner when he was down at lightweight, you'd have to fancy Broner to to do that. Um, I think the more, uh, I suppose, look at Terry Flanagan. Terry Flanagan doesn't hit hard enough um, at lightweight, for me, in my view, just in general. Adrian Broner doesn't work hard enough. So that would be an interesting stylistic fight because you'd have Flanagan you know, as a workhorse against Broner as a, a show pony. Um, <laughs> it would be a great farmyard matchup. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, uh, I have a question. Is there precedent... Um, this might not be you might not be the best, but maybe Terry would be the best person to ask for this. But still, is a precedent of a fighter going? I realise you've got someone like um, Roy Jones who's gone up 
the weight? Is there anyone that's come down the weights and been successful? And does a fighter lose something by coming, even if he's gone from low to high, do they lose something coming back down again? Uh, I mean, the most modern precedent is Ricky Burns, who went from super featherweight, maybe in featherweight at one point, I can't remember, uh, went up to super featherweight, went up to lightweight, went up to light welterweight, went up to welterweight. He's a three-division world champion. Now he's come back down to light welterweight uh, and picked up a world title. Arguably should have lost it against Relic one way or the other. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a toss of a coin fight and certainly not what it was scored as. He's gained, like welterweight was never his weight. I think he took the money um, in those fights. But he's come back down. You know, he, when he signed with Matrim and after all his legal disputes with Warren, he seemed to go through a bit of turmoil in his career, um, unsettled in what he was doing. After he got his jaw broken um, against Raymond Beltran, he just seemed to go into a bit of flux with his career. But he seems to have settled now as a 140-pound fighter. I think that's where it suits him best in it, like welterweight. Um, so, yeah, he, he's gained from coming out of the welterweight division because he's just not big enough for it. It, it. it clearly doesn't happen that often, right? Coming yeah. down the weights. No, not really. I mean, you know, naturally, fighters grow as they get older. Um, you know, everybody's bone structure and that kind of fills out a little bit. So you naturally move up through the weight. So look at someone like Callum Smith fighting at super middleweight. It's only a matter of time until he becomes a light heavyweight. He's not going to be moving down to middleweight. It would be nigh on impossible with his frame, his structure. He'd lose far too much. But he's a natural light heavyweight to look at him. You kind of wonder what super middleweight takes out of him um, size-wise. In terms of fighters moving around the divisions, after the Badu-Jack-James DeGale fight, um, as we've covered before, Jack then, with Mayweather jumping in to speak on his behalf... Was saying that he's he's gonna move, he has to move up to light heavyweight. You know he can't keep seemingly cutting to get down to to uh, to below. So why doesn't James DeGale? Why isn't he also thinking I've got to move up? Why is he happy to just sit there? It might be that DeGale has better spreadsheets, as Terry may well say, <laughs> and nutritional planning, however you want to put it. Uh, and able to make that 168 limit easier than Badu Jack. As you say, they're not necessarily hugely different in their sizes. Badu Jack's team had said before the fight that they were going up to light heavyweight. It comes down to what your options are. For Badu Jack over in America, there aren't a lot of American super middleweights that are going to make him much money fighting. Whereas if he goes up to light heavyweight, you've got the likes of Kovalev, you've got the likes of Ward, uh, even Donis Stevenson, um, if he picks his career up. There are options there that over in America make sense. Over in the UK, super middleweight, you've got George Groves, you've got Callum Smith, you've got potentially Chris Eubank. So there are more options. Right. A light heavyweight for James DeGale if he comes back and fights in the UK. There just there aren't that many options, really, um, that would make that much sense. So is it more his financial, uh, financial advisor that was telling him that he needs to move up to light heavyweight yeah. rather than... <laughs> You'd probably suspect, as I say, there are better options for him out in the States than um, you know James DeGale has back home. Yeah, because like I said, they've more or less got the same skeletal frame. I, don't, I couldn't really see why it was such a massive... As though, you know, they were almost like shrugging their shoulders and, oh, I'd love to have another fight, mate, but I have to him up to light heavyweight. I'm thinking, James Cow looks exactly the same. Granted, he's a bit lighter, a few teeth lighter than he was <laughs> at the beginning of that fight. Um, okay, let's move on. Um, a question from Niall Duran. 
asks, how does Lamont Peterson match up with some of the top welterweights? Uh, yeah, the top welterweights, Lamont Peterson, he's, you know, where can we judge him really from last night? So I haven't really seen it myself, but we know that he can arguably beat Amir Khan. Um, the other top welterweights out there, they're all going to be facing each other fairly soon. So Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Kel Brook, Errol Spence Jr. Out of the back of that, we're going to have the two top welterweights. I don't necessarily think Lamont Peterson causes them an awful lot of trouble, unless he's shown something last night that he hasn't ever shown before. Um, but I, he doesn't, for me, he doesn't beat Kel Brook. He doesn't beat Errol Spence. The Americans are slightly more shaky, in my view, the the Thurman and Garcia side of it. Um, but I think there's a home for him in the elite, and he's always going to be a name, certainly over here, because of the Amir Khan victory. He's always a viable option for somebody to pick up. Okay, let's look at the previews. We have Ray Vargas for the WBC Super Bantamweight Championship uh, facing off against Gavin McDonald. What can you tell us about that? What can I tell you about this? Um, I put it out on Twitter the other day. Gavin McDonald fighting for a world championship and potentially being a world champion next week. You're going to say he's going to be a world champion, right? I can see by your face. Uh, to discuss usually <laughs> means... <laughs> <laughs> it gives me hope that my fivesome with Little Mix will one day come off. That's the only way I can put it. Um, look, you've got to give credit to Gavin McDonald. He's a man who comes from little to no um, amateur background. He's from the kind of white collar scene more than um, you know the amateur scene. He's punching well above his weight in terms of where he stands in the boxing world. Ray Vargas is coming over from Mexico. Fair play to Eddie Hearn for getting this fight in the fucking ice arena in Hull to get some Mexican... Wow. That yeah. doesn't happen often. You can get that stadium. No, this is... You know, they've had to stop the uh, the social 8 till 9 on a Saturday <laughs> evening. There's probably been ice. a lot of pressure from Wembley and O2 that he's had to shrug off to just say, no, no. we're having it at the biggest stadium in the country, the no, biggest venue. I know the Hull WI often have a Saturday evening session at the ice arena. <laughs> Um, that they've had to to cancel next Saturday, so uh, Eddie's caused up absolute uproar yeah. amongst the uh, the fifty plus females <laughs> in Hull. Uh, you know they're going to be livid about this. So Ray Vargas coming over. Of course, over. a fifty year old in Hull is a great great grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> so you're stepping on heat. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of sort of like ancestral pedigree there. Yeah, don't ever visit Hull. <laughs> they had I remember no, I'm, I, not, I'm not warning you it's, just, did, it's just a public uh, guidance <laughs> public service information <laughs> I did my driving test up there and uh, I remember the driving driving instructor said to me now how true this is I don't know we might have listeners in Hull that will go what That's, but it just made me laugh at the time he said oh yeah in Hull see over there and it was this giant sort of monstrosity of a building they said that was what they they built they called it the indestructible school Right, can you guess what happened? It had to close. Did it get blown up? <laughs> it had to close down because it had been like destroyed right. by the kids. What kind of idiot builds a school and then calls it an indestructible, indestructible. school? <laughs> At the time, they had Europe's youngest mother of twelve. Right. Wow, what a place. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Welcome, Ray Vargas. If you're yeah, listening so, on your way over. Um, yeah, Ray Vargas. Cool as ice in Hull. <laughs> Undefeated um, Mexican coming over. He's got a reputation as a fearsome fighter. Gavin McDonald doesn't. Let's be perfectly honest about it. Gavin McDonald 
is a tireless fighter, uh, very similar to his brother Jamie in that sense, that they, they're not exciting, they're not going to set the world alight, but they do a job. I think the only way I can put this is it, it, I will be shocked if this isn't a step too far for Gavin McDonald because he's never shown anything that tells me he's a world champion in waiting. Um, there's nothing about him other than his engine that he's got on him, and he has got a terrific engine. But he hasn't got the skill set. He hasn't got the power. He hasn't got the tenacity in the ring. And I say, he's he's overachieving as a boxer. You have to appreciate that about him, though. Like that's not a criticism in any way whatsoever. Because I I like an underdog. I like an overachiever. But if Ray Vargas isn't flying back with that WBC belt, I will be shocked. What will you do? I'm going to jump off the Humber Bridge. Oh wow! That, I thought he was going to like I don't know wear a. A silly hat or something, but you're willing to put your life on the line. Wait a minute, yeah. I'm not going, I'm not going to Hull. <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible even, idea. Even if you're going to kill yourself, mate, don't go to don't Hull. Go. That's a good reason to kill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, people of Hull. We're only joking. Yeah. It's a lovely place, I'm sure. The ice arena's terrific. Had a great refurb in 2008. Great hot dogs. <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look. Gavin McDonnell... For all of his efforts, all of his overachievements, I don't see how he comes out of this fight with a win. I can see him getting stopped by uh, Vargas and potentially in fairly brutal fashion. Tommy Coyle and David Allen are fighting TBC. Now, he is a ferocious and, you know, voracious fighter. Yeah, he's going to be busy that night. Now, look, Tommy Coyle, I know who Tommy Coyle's fighting. He wasn't meant to be fighting Kofi Yates. Kofi Yates was pulled for a medical issue. Um, now, look, I can't tell you who it is, but I know who it is. Now, if you get odds, if you see odds of maybe six, seven, eight, maybe even nine to one during the week on Tommy Coyle's opponent, when it gets announced, put some money on it. Don't put huge money on it. Put 10, 20 quid on it. Like, that's my tip for you. I I can't say the name of who it is, but I think there seems to have been some misconception, I suspect, that this person they picked has been out of camp. He's got a loss on his record to a journeyman. Um, going back a little while, single loss. He <laughs> He's better than what that loss is. He fights well over a longer distance. <clears throat> That's where his best win has come. It's where his two best wins have come. It's probably going to have been announced by now anyway, so I could have just said who it was. Uh, for whatever reason, Matchroom have chosen not to tell us who the opponent is. I personally... It's a 50-50 fight. Uh, Tommy Coyle's fought at the higher level, fought better opponents, but I don't hugely rate Tommy Coyle. Um, you know, his <laughs> the best thing Tommy Coyle's ever done is nearly beat Derry Matthews and then got spanked out in the last round. <laughs> but like that's, that's Imagine his, that. That's his best nearly imagine win. It, admit, I, clearly this is a subjective statement, but imagine your greatest accomplish, uh, accomplishment being <laughs> nearly getting <somewhere>. You nearly <laughs> beat Derry Matthews. Um <laughs> So that might sound a little bit harsh, but Tommy Coyle in reality has always been found wanting. Now, this opponent isn't that Derry Matthews level. It's a lower level. People wouldn't have heard of him on the whole. But trust me, I've seen this guy um, fight undefeated people and beat them and beat them with an engine that is relentless. Um, And I don't think Tommy Coyle's going (laughs) to... I think they've underestimated this opponent. I don't think Tommy Coyle will like having this opponent stand in his face for if it's 10 rounds, if it's 12 rounds, I don't know. There's talk of a international title of some sort being on the line. Tommy Coyle's in for a rough night. Uh, you mentioned Gavin McDonald had a good engine. Uh, McDonald, sorry, had a good engine. 
but nothing else. So to me, it sounded like a car with a really powerful engine, but no steering, no brakes, flat tires. What What is Tommy Coyle in that sort of analogy? In the motor world? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is Tommy Coyle? Um, Has he got a good engine? He's a... Uh, he's a he's a Lotus Elise. Like when I went for driving day once, the the bloke told me that a Lotus, like within driving circles, is referred to as lots of trouble, usually serious, uh, <laughs> which is like the acronym they use for them. <laughs> so they might look really really nice, and they like they might do an okay job, but they will eventually break down, and they'll break down horrifically. Like ah. that's where Tommy Coyle sits in the boxing world. He Flatters to deceive, he kind of he he should have probably achieved more than what he's done, but he's always broken down just when it matters. So that Derry Matthews fight, case in point, um, you know the Luke Campbell fight, he was never in with a chance with that, but Sky tried to build it up. That's the point. Luke Campbell's fighting on this card. I haven't got a clue who's fighting. I've completely forgotten about that. Um, I just I don't care enough for Luke How? Campbell's career at the moment. Yeah, how many losses Luke Campbell got? He just got that one. one. Um, I don't care enough for Luke Campbell's career. At the Why moment. though? Because at one point he was, <laughs> you, you was quite, he was quite backed behind him. You said he was going to go far, and then had that shock loss, and ever since then you seem to have lost interest. Yeah, because I think it seems like Eddie's lost interest a little bit. You know, he's on. Yes, this is a world title card, and it's you know getting Ray Vargas over is a big deal. But Luke Campbell, the fact that I've forgotten that he's even fighting it is testament well, yeah, to it how speaks little... speaks volumes, doesn't it? But I still, know more I about... I wonder, because Tom... like, Chisora's lost fucking loads of fights and he's still relevant. I, I appreciate he's a heavyweight and that's disproportionately There's a smaller pool of, of fighters at heavyweight, so Chisora will always have but a relevance. But... Considering how... I remember when Luke Campbell did lose um, and... There were people in the state. I was there in the stadium. There were people chatting about it all night, sort of like, and there were people arriving, like, "Oh yeah, Luke Campbell's lost." So there seemed to be a, quite a big buzz around him. Suddenly, it's dropped off just because he's lost one fight. It's not that it's dropped off because he lost one fight. It's that it's dropped off because they haven't done anything to recoil that interest in him. Um, and so, yeah, okay, <laughs> maybe you don't want to put him straight back in with the guy who's beaten him, but they've just given him a couple of low key fights. I think until they put him back into the deep water of the lightweight division a little bit, they can't expect fans to invest their interest in him. Okay, fair enough. Um, David Allen, what's uh, happening with the uh, the Danger Man? What's his, what is his nickname? <laughs> the White Rhino. The White Rhino. I don't know. He's, he, he's just he's thrown himself into some high-profile fights, come off a bit worse for wear, despite the fact his bravery was a sort of a testament to him as a fighter. Uh, you know, I... He's, he's fighting TBC, so you can't necessarily talk about his opponent. But what, you know, what, what does a f- now, what does a future hold for him? I guess I think by his own admission, look, what he wanted, and he says it himself on Twitter, he wants a Hungarian that he can knock out in a round. That's like that's the <laughs> level that he wants for this fight. And he says, look, I've done Eddie a favour. I've fought uh, Dillian White. I've fought Luis Ortiz. I've done those two fights. Um, from what I know he's not that handsomely paid for it. But now he wants to get out there and just knock someone over. I don't even know if it's going to be televised. I'm, I'm pretty sure it probably won't be. Um, because you've got the Tommy Coyle, who's a whole lad. You've got the Luke Campbell, who's a whole lad. And then you've got the Gavin McDonald fights. I'd be surprised if they find room for a David Allen fight on there. It's probably only going to be a f- six-rounder or something. If you had to predict the, the, the sort of projection of his career going forward from this point, 
where would you where would you expect he's going to be in say four years time? I think he'll be hanging around the British title level. He's never going to go higher than British title level. He may be lucky to get the British title level. <laughs> but when I look at who's there, Gary Cornish against Sam Sexton is a poor British title level. Let's be honest about it. Now, I know Nathan Gorman was fighting last night. He's fighting Dominic Akinlade, I think, in April for the English title. I know Dom uh, was discussed last week by Terry. Nathan Gorman goes out last night in his warm-up fight for it and knocks the guy out in one round up in Stoke. Um, so I'm going to be hugely surprised if Gorman doesn't do something similar to Dominic Akinlade. As high as Terry is on him, apologies Terry and all that, we'll see if you know a different Dom turns up for that fight and maybe it'll be a different story. But Nathan Gorman is going places. Nathan Gorman, I suspect, will win that English title and move up to British level very, very soon, especially if he looks up and sees Gary Cornish against Sam Sexton. Um, then, you know, he's got to fancy that. Now, what David Allen needs to do is get himself a win against the Hungarian. I think that's a perfectly fine move to do, is go out and knock somebody over, get that confidence back. You know, he bit his tongue badly in that Luis Ortiz fight. It took him three, four weeks until he could eat solid foods again. Um, so he needs to go out and do that and then maybe get an Ian Lewis and maybe get the loser out of Cornish and Sam Sexton, um, maybe take the Nathan Gorman fight, although I'm not sure that's a fight anyone's really going to be rushing to take. But he needs to probably re-establish himself at that English title level over the next six to nine months. And then, you know, if he can do that, then he should be looking at British title level. But it depends who holds that belt. I say Nathan Gorman's not someone that anyone's going to rush to get in with. But, you know, certainly 24 months' time, I would expect to see him loitering, if not holding, that British title. All those names you just mentioned, if you had to pitch David Price again, like in terms of ability around those all those names, where does he sit? A- ability or ability to stand up for more than half an hour without needing a stall? <laughs> <laughs> um, ability. Let's just say... Because I suppose that boils down to discipline as well, doesn't it? Discipline, training... Um, Nutrition and all that sort of stuff. Well, I'm just, I, I wouldn't fucking trust David Price to take my nan out if it went over three rounds. She was <laughs> dead like two and a half years ago. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, the reason I say it gives you context as to what these sort of level of these fighters are. Not necessarily how good David Price is, because I think we kind of know. Are they all above David Price? You can't say they're all above David Price. David Price, if he got his confidence back and if he wasn't... <laughs> David Price has been mismanaged. He took that Christian Hammer fight he shouldn't have... He should be fighting down... He should have dropped himself. He should have taken that initiative and dropped himself down to English-British level to rebuild the confidence. What he's done is tried to stay at a level... You know, what he's done is he's drowned in the middle part of the swimming pool. And then he's like just about got his head up above water and said, right, I'm going to stay here, rather than go down to the shallow end and like build the confidence and take so some So basically played lessons. it safe, like sat in a... He should have... In a, although it doesn't sound what you've just painted, the picture you've painted, the comfort zone. He's tried to stay in a comfort zone, but maybe a comfort zone that's... No, not the comfort no? He's out of his comfort zone, right. being at that level. <laughs> so, so he's trying to... As I say, he's going to a level that he can't compete in and then stay Yeah, there. and like, he's just about got his head above water, so he thinks he can stay there. What he should have done is like taken, waded back into the shallow end a little bit, rebuilt his confidence, taken a couple of swimming lessons, and then gone back into that deeper end. Uh, but he hasn't, and that's, that's where his career's been mishandled. Are there any fighters that you can think of that... Don't move beyond British level or European level 
because they think to themselves, I- I'm just not. I know I'm not good enough. Like I'm just going to happily sit here, soak up the money whilst it comes. Or, or is is there always a step forward? Nah. You realise you're too not good enough, and then you come back. I don't. Again. There's no fighter that I've ever come across that doesn't believe that they're the next level up, oh, wherever yeah. that level is. <laughs> like even if you're the world champion, I think they still believe they could be the, the greatest, greatest ever. <laughs> Um, like, there's not one fighter out there that I've ever spoken to who is happy with or comfortable with the level they're at. Well, and I that's get, a that's great good. attribute. Yeah, to I have. suppose you have to be that sort of mindset to get there. There are some I won't name names. There are some that are fucking delusional about it, and the ones that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, the ones that you know you've seen them two or three fights in. They're saying like, you know, I want to be a British champion. When in reality, like they'll be lucky and they'll do very, very well. It's not a, it's not an Criticism, insult. Yeah. If they get to an area level championship, and like they ought to be happy with that, with their career, with what they've got, their skill sets, their abilities, um, but you know they're still talking about I'm going to be a British champion. So it's aim for the stars and maybe you'll hit the moon. Yeah, like, sort of yeah, thing. a little bit. And you have to admire that mentality. Like as much yeah. as it may seem delusional when you hear it, is actually, you know, there are some that do say if I win an area title, it will be my world championship. That's cool. Like, and maybe those ones won't win an area title. Maybe they will. But like, no fighter is ever comfortable and ever happy with the level that they're at. Like, they always want to be progressed. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Tim at Mister Dermo One asks, "What our thoughts are on the next generation the Matchroom initiative?" Great question. Uh, it's announced this week. Matchroom are launching their NXT Gen. It's labelled uh, series which the first one is going to be at York Hall on March the 17th, I believe. So you've got fighting on there. Ben Hall coming back from uh, his loss to Carson Jones. You've got uh, Jake Ball coming back from his loss to Madonna. You've got Isaac Chamberlain on there, I think. Um, You've got uh, Felix Cash. So basically it's it's a collection of the younger matchroom fighters, the less established matchroom fighters. What this has done is given Eddie Hearn a second stable. That's what it is. he's now a, a competitor to the small hall fights as well. You know, he's taking York Hall on a Friday night, uh, which is a brave move in itself. Boxing doesn't traditionally go out on a Friday night. They're going to be streaming it on Facebook uh, as well as Sky Sports, I believe. So don't expect it to be packed out because people stay at home and watch it. There'll be a lot of complimentary tickets given out, I'm sure, so it may well be packed out. Um, but yeah, it's a great move because what it does is gives these younger, less known fighters a platform to establish themselves on. They have their own uh, their own program now, their own series. So hopefully, we'll see Eddie can do this over a a period of numerous evenings, numerous nights, and he'll keep it going. But I just I think it's such a clever move because these these cards that they're putting on they've got so many fighters that have moved up to that kind of world class level now that he can put on his saturday fight nights um are meant to comprise of world title fights all the time is what he said um so a prime example being the one coming up in hull with the wbc uh fight on it that more and more the budget is going to be spent on those so the undercards are going to be things like um you know maybe british title fights It'll be more and more WBC international title, WBA international, whatever they are, silver trinkets. And so you're going to find that there's going to be less and less of the kind of English title fights and probably none whatsoever of the area title fights that we're used to seeing um, comprise some of the undercards. So 
some fans aren't big big fans of, of those fights. So this is where the next gen series is going to come in. These younger fighters coming through who are fighting for the area titles, who may well be fighting for you might see some English titles on there. They're going to have a platform for it. They're going to be able to establish themselves to a wider audience because there's not going to be the paywall of Sky Sports on there if they stream it via Facebook. So what Hearn's doing with this is investing in the future of Matchroom by giving these young lads free to air um boxing time and by investing i'm assuming that's the answer to the question of what benefit is there in this for her because if he's streaming it and he's giving away complimentary tickets does it stand up as a business model on its own or is it is it being subsidized by the saturday shows in order to produce future champions and people that are going to make money in the future i completely believe that's the case um unless they start packing these cards with you know, 12 fighters on there, each of which is a ticket seller of 100 tickets plus, which they're not going to do because it's on a Friday night, so you can't start it early. They'll be starting the cards at probably 7 o'clock because people got to get across London, get to York Hall, etc. So at 7 o'clock, say you run it through until 10, you, you're going to have four, maybe five fighters on there. They're not going to sell out York Hall. So it's almost going to be a loss leader for these lads. Um, expect to see some form of sponsorship on the Facebook streams because that'll be a way of subsidising the income. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's an investment into them because these are the lads. We've spoken many times about what sits underneath the headlines at Matchroom. Not a huge amount if you kind of dig too deep. These are the lads that are going to build up that next, as it's called, next generation they're going to be the next ones coming through that once they're established, once they get a bit of a following uh, off of Facebook, off of, um, yeah, I think they're still going to show it on Sky, but they can start to shift these lads then onto the main Sky shows. And it's very much, it's formulaic in the same sense as WWE do it, um, that they have, I think it's NXT is their own training ground for young fighters and they kind of made a TV series out of that. That's exactly like down to the name. They're copying that formula. I think you'll start to see some of these lads, you know, maybe they leave them on there for six to 12 months whilst they establish themselves. They move on, um, you know, become more regular on the TV slots. And those that aren't good enough, it's also a very good way of filtering them out for Hearn. Um, you know, if you lose too many on that platform, then expect to see yourself shifted out of, uh, of Matchroom fairly quickly. Right. At this point in the show, I'm going to have to uh, tell you... That I'm actually... never going to record again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's um, the last New Age boxing This podcast. is the last New Age boxing. No, it's not. It's not. We've slandered <laughs> enough. We've completed boxing. We've yeah, slandered enough people. It, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, no one left. We actually have a class action lawsuit from everyone in boxing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, basically, I'm going on holiday. So Yeah, where are you going? Um, to America. Yeah. I'm going snowboarding in North Michigan. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, whilst my heart will bleed whilst I'm away that I can't record a New Age Boxing podcast. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that means that the other two can't record either. I realise that you might at this point be thinking, right, fine, you're not going to be here. We don't give a fuck. Well, at least yeah. mine and Terrell be here. But that's the only reason I'm on the pod, you see. Andy brings <laughs> the technical nows to this, right? Andy... <laughs> Andy is the the knowledge of how to record a podcast. Yeah, I, every everything except for boxing knowledge. So yeah. that's why I'm even. I mean, you might have questioned that in the past. There you go. There's the answer. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is Andy doing? Exactly. That probably. Podcast? Yeah. I mean, so we question it most weeks. Yeah. Then we go. Oh yeah, he, <laughs> he knows how to do it. Right. Okay. Uh, so, um, 
yeah, I'm not going to be here, and so therefore we're not going to be. Here. Unless there's any volunteers, if you know how to record a podcast, just, just, come round Andy's house. We'll sort out. I just come in and there's two windows broken. <laughs> Went through two pods, mate. Why don't you go through the other window the second time? <laughs> yeah, you should have done that. Um, uh, so yeah, we're uh, we're going to take a, essentially a break, a hiatus, um, for a couple of weeks. But we will be back on March the 12th, I think it is, the Sunday. So, um, in between now and then, yeah. we have the Bellu Hay fight. Full show. So, if we break that down now... Um, Bellu gets knocked the fuck out. Any... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was listening to a, a BBC podcast the other week, and... Uh, uh, you know, he's, you, you had on there Mike Costello and who's that really extravagant? You know, the, the guy who has his own podcast. He's like, he talks like Bunce. Yeah, Buncey, yeah. So they're talking about, and uh, Buncey's, they're talking it up, saying it could happen, you know, if it gets it past round it. And then right at the very end, Buncey goes, yeah, it could happen, but I'd be surprised if it goes right past round three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's where the wise, you know, money would be going is rounds one to three. David Hay. I've heard, I have heard some people go, "Oh, I hope Bell you sparks him out." I thought, do you though? Because then that kind of puts, uh, it, like, if if Hay if Hay wins, it kind of opens up the door to the rest of the heavyweight division. As in, right now we can get on with the rest of the heavyweight division, and it's somebody else for everyone else to fight. Um, it, so there's nothing much else to to talk about, is there? We see a Hay walkover, essentially, in about three rounds, going to knock him out. This feels a little bit, to me, like, if you've got the food chain, right, and you've got... So I'm going full Terry here, and I... <laughs> no, go for it. Imagine the Serengeti. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you have, like... 1926. If you have a mouse, a cat, and a dog, right, they're established within the food chain. So the mouse runs right. away from the cat, and the cat runs away from the dog. We all know that, right? That's just established. No one needs to question that. This feels a little bit to me like this is the mouse annoying the dog. And like all that's going to happen is a little swap from the dog. We'll get rid of that mouse and it becomes irrelevant. Like, nobody will ever remember that then. It's it's past being any sort of relevance. Tony Bell, you will never be relevant as a heavyweight. Never, ever be relevant as a heavyweight. There is no, to me, there is no point in this fight. Now, I might be proven horribly wrong come March and, you know, Bell, you goes out, but... There was a photo put up on Twitter by Dave Coldwell the other day where it had um, uh, Chisora and Bellew and somebody else. I'm not sure who it was. And Bellew just, he looked like a man who'd been beaten up in sparring. And, you know, that's people that, you know, Chisora's not on Hay's level. We've seen that already. Caused Hay problems, but Hay dealt with him comprehensively. That's going back a few years, granted. You could see the size differences. They're sat there on the side of the ring. I'm not talking height-wise. I'm talking stature. Muscle density and yeah, filling out. Frame. Fill out yeah. You know, Bellew is a man who stepped from light heavyweight to cruiserweight and is now taking this saunter into the heavyweight division. To be fair, division. it's not like he could have cleaned up the cruiserweight division. We kind of discussed this, didn't we? If he'd have taken on someone like Alexander Usk, he just would have been made mincemeat. Yeah, yeah. or Brady. So you could pick various ones. So it's it's a free hit for Tony Bellew. It's the same as when Brooke went and fought Triple G. No one's expecting him to win. If he manages to pull it off, you'll never hear the end of it, ever. Oh, yeah. That's a fact. Um, See, one thing I have been blown away by and really impressed with Tony Bellew about is that he has managed to supplant um, himself 
as the person that I hate more than David Hay. Like at one stage, I couldn't that stand is. David Hay. Well done, Tony. <laughs> but but like that has changed somewhat, especially since the press conference where he was tearing Eddie Hearn apart. Bellew is such a penis. Like I can't stand the bloke, and I really hope he gets demolished. Doesn't put, I don't want to see it round ten. I want to see him get obliterated, peeled off the canvas. Yeah, in like the second round, and he's embarrassed by Hay. That's what I'd like to see. I've never met Tony Bellew. Pretty certain. From the people that I know who have met him, he's a thoroughly nice bloke. Really? Yeah, he's genuinely, from what I hear, a very, very nice bloke. But wow. I can't comment on that necessarily because I only see the box inside of him in which he's a yeah. penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like... So either he's that's... really good at being a face, yeah, as yeah. Terry would say, yeah. the WWE terminology. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but he's, he's thoroughly dislikable. Don't get me wrong, Hay isn't like Mother Teresa. He's not somebody that you necessarily want to get behind. But I want no. to get behind him more than I do Tony Bellew. I say, from what I've heard of it, Tony Bellew is a nice bloke. I, I just I struggle to see behind if it is a. Oh, but David Hay. What, what have I heard of him? Yeah, is he a nice bloke or? Um, I hear he's an an okay bloke who's got his flaws. Um, I think many boxers probably have the same thing. What his flaws are, are yeah, you know, you can probably read about him somewhere. Um, <laughs> we haven't got Terry. We need someone to slander someone. He's not going to slander Hay. He fucking loves Hay. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, look, out of the two of them, in terms of when they step into that ring, I think you're going to see a rabbit in the headlights in Tony Bellew. I think it's suddenly going to dawn on him that he's entered a gunfight and he's holding a tomato. And it's <laughs> it's going to look horrible. And I think it's... There's a lot of people out there that are backing, because Sky are very good at doing it and levelling the fight out via TV, they're backing Tony Bellew to an extent. I've got a £5 bet on with my wife's cousin. Like, he thinks Tony Bellew's going to go in there and ace him because he carries power. Like, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't at all. And, like, uh, yeah. Have you tried to double or quits it yet? Just keep double or quits it until, you owes, <laughs> until it's house versus house. No, not yet, sadly. But, yeah, you know, he knocked out Makabu um, up at Goodison Park, and that was a great knockout. But... <laughs> David it's free Hay. money to bet on Hay, essentially, isn't it? It is. It it's is. Free it, money. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. David Hay is a man who stood and took Vladimir Klitschko's punches for 12 rounds. Now, you can't tell me, like, granted, he may have run for 12 rounds. That's people's argument. But you can't tell me that Tony Bell, you can jab harder than Vladimir Klitschko, who's got that ramrod jab that he's perfected over the years, that he can put his full six foot nine frame behind. And you're telling me that Tony Bellew can hit harder than that, can wear him down. There is no no way, no conceivable way that Tony Bellew comes out of this with a win. I've, there's no way it goes to points. The best Tony Bellew can hope for, in my honest view, is that he doesn't leave on a stretcher and that he can walk out of that ring of his own accord and hold his head up high. You know, He's got to go out there and just chuck everything that he's got at him. That's the, you know, come out of it the same way Kel Brook, people went, oh, fair play, Kel, you gave it a go, and you did better than what we imagined. I think that's the only way that Bellew comes out of this with uh, any sort of creed. Creed. Oh, See what God. I did there? Yeah. Run over is a really good pound word. Mate. Yeah, no, nah, cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just quickly chuck this over to Terry. I've been hearing a few things uh, on the grapevine that, that you, you know, potentially think that Bellew could put up big a fight time, here. Big time. Whoever thinks that's an idiot. But can you see why people would say that? I can see why people would say that. 
So I'm assuming, therefore, you think that Hayes is going to absolutely destroy Tony Bellew? agree with that. That's almost absurd. Okay, then. Um, so compare Hay and Bellew. You can't compare the two. And so I think from this really intense and informative conversation, we can pretty much say that you think that Hay is going to beat Bellew. Is that right? Yes. Okay, thanks, Terry. As always, <laughs> the Terry Chapanama soundboard is being worn thin this yeah. week. <laughs> the worst thing is, people don't understand this at home. Andy does the editing of this. Like, there's a lot of pausing, a lot of restarting. Andy's got a list of about, what, 10 WhatsApp yeah. <laughs> sound bites that he needs to edit into this bloody yeah. podcast. That's your fucking night taken up. Um, Unbelievable. This is why I refuse to do it when Andy's not here. Right. There's only <laughs> one mug. There's only one mug that's choosing to do this. Um, okay, David McGinley asks, Bellew drafts Chisora for sparring. How smart is this when Hayes' style is very different? Awful idea. Awful idea. You know, we criticised Dave Coldwell the other week for the David Price preparation. Um, and people have come out in defence of Dave Coldwell... They've come out in defence of Price saying, you know, you can't necessarily um, prepare a fighter for a bit of a mental kind of breakdown when they get into that ring and they, they exhaust themselves. Well, if this is the kind of preparation that Dave Coldwell has given his fighters, then there have to be big question marks. Chisora is not a like-for-like hay fighter. Now, maybe they only sparred one round. Maybe they never sparred any round and Dave Coldwell's putting it out there and he's bluffed us all. It didn't look like that off the photo. Um, if indeed Chisora is being brought in as a main sparring partner for Tony Bellew, there have to be questions asked. You need somebody who comes in with explosiveness. You need somebody with good movement. You need somebody with, um, you know, the high power, quick, explosive work rate. And that isn't necessarily Chisora. Chisora doesn't have those attributes that David Hay has. You'd be better off getting one of the top level cruiserweights to come in and spar Tony Bellew. Um, than getting Chisora because it's not a replication at all. So the only thing I can think is that Dave Coldwell is double bluffing us and Chisora's had nothing to do with this because if it is the fact that Chisora has been brought in to do this, then to me there would be big question marks over what David Coldwell was doing in preparation for his fighters. Is there um, an argument, maybe not an argument to made, but like, could you foresee a situation where Team Bell you were going, we're just not going to win this. This is, you understand Tony, this is a money maker. Yeah, no, absolutely. In the same way that I'm sure Kel Brook's team before the Triple G fight, you know, they probably said we've got two to three rounds here. That's your best hope is two to three rounds and you land something on him. Other than that, it's a money maker. I think it's fairly well accepted that that was kind of <laughs> probably the Dominic Ingle approach to the fight yeah. for Kelbrook. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think Bellew is deluded enough to think that he's going to win it anyway. So, uh, you know, you have to admire that. Again, we said about it earlier in fighters, that kind of mindset whereby they're going to go out and do a job. Bellew probably does believe he's going to win it, but I think he's in the minority of one. Dave McGinley asks... Break down the styles of Williams versus Smith and predict predict the outcome, please. Let's be very agricultural about this in terms of styles. Um, Liam Smith coming out of Joe Gallagher's gym is a Joe Gallagher fighter, so you can expect the hands up. We saw it against Canelo. Hands up, walk forward, try and bring people into the, the deep waters of the later rounds. 
That's what Liam Smith does. Um, I think Terry put it very well once that he can't walk and punch. He can walk or punch. He can move or punch. He can't do both. He's so he's so horrible to people sometimes. <laughs> however nice he is, like however correct he is, sorry, he's, he can be so brutal. Yeah, yeah, that's one of his beauties. We love you, Terry. You um, very much. He's absolutely correct about it as well. Um, now let's be quite clear: Liam Williams is no Canelo. Um, he's not really been tested to his fullest yet. He hasn't lost, so you can't say he's been tested to his fullest. He's an exciting fighter. I mean, go back and watch the Gary Corcoran fight. The two would stand and trade, and there's a lot of bad blood in that fight. Uh, I think what that's probably taught Liam Williams is that he can't get so emotive going into the ring. Um, I know that Gary Lockett was unhappy with how he fought that fight, and I think Liam Williams was probably fairly unhappy with how he fought that fight. Liam Williams is a, probably the more skilled out of the two, if you had to um, pick. He likely hits harder out of the two. I think that's going to be quite decisive come this fight because it won't be too long until the two stand and trade. It's a fight that you have to be looking forward to. Uh, It's a great reason to look forward to April. (sighs) Who wins? Uh, I'm going to go with Williams personally because I don't think... um, I don't think Joe Gallagher is going to be able to arm Liam Smith with enough game plans that when... Williams makes it into the fight he wants, which is when they can stand and trade. I don't think Smith will go in enough. You know, there's not going to be a plan B and a plan C to get out of it because that's not. We've never seen it out of Gallagher before, so I'm not sure why we'd see it now. Okay, another question from David McGinley. Thank you always for your input, David. Top man. Errol Spence Jr. versus Brooke. Prediction. This is his prediction. Kel will struggle to boil down. Uh, Spence Jr. KO via a body shot. Hmm, quite specific. What's your thoughts? Um, Let's firstly give Kel Brook credit for taking this fight. It's not a fight he needed to take. Again, it's something I put out on Twitter during the week. It's a sad indictment of boxing at present that we have to give Kel Brook this credit because surely, you know, it's a tough mandatory fight. Fighters ought to take tough mandatories. He's taken Jojo Dan. He's taken Bizier in the past. Of course he should take Errol Spence. But the easier thing to do and the Eddie Hearn thing to do would have been to move up a weight division and say goodbye to Errol Spence and wipe your hands of the title. He hasn't chosen to done that, uh, do that. So he's chosen to stay at 147 pounds and take this much feared Errol Spence. So, you know, for all that we kind of criticised lots and lots of fighters, actually, let's give props to Kel Brook for deciding to take this because I think a lot of people assumed the only fight he would have taken at welterweight was Amir Khan, uh, and it's proven not to be the the case at all. How does the fight go? Errol Spence um, is a tremendous, tremendous prospect. He's a prospect, though. Let's not forget that. He's not fought anybody uh, of a top level. There's only two fighters Kel Brooker's fought of a top level. Sean Porter, who got a contentious point to win against, who many would still say lost, and Gennady Golovkin. So essentially what you've probably got in a, in a roundabout way and with some belts or a belt on the line is you've got probably two of the best relatively untested prospects, despite who they've been in with previously, of Porter and Golovkin, uh, in the world, fighting. Because we don't know how good Brook is at, at welterweight, aside from the Sean Porter fight, which he fought very differently to how he'd normally fight. It makes for a tremendous matchup, and the boiling down issue to me is a huge thing for Brook, because you know we saw him on the Eubank uh, pay-per-view, 
he was there with Adam Etches, uh, and he looked like he was carrying twins. Like, <laughs> Jesus. so quite how he's getting back down to 147 <laughs> over the next what eight weeks or whatever is going to be a hell of a challenge for the Ingle camp. Um, yeah, so I, I'm surprised that I'm surprised he's hung around at 147 in that scenario. Um, <laughs> how? <laughs> Right, is Amir Khan relevant anymore, and to what extent is he relevant? Uh, he brings in big Skype numbers when he masturbates into piece of tissue. <laughs> so, like, that's not even slanderous. That happened, right? It, so, well, uh, hold on. Okay, uh, okay so, no, he. he uh, why, why am I talking about Amir Khan wanking off on Skype? I don't, yeah, that's I don't what know, happened. Up. Yeah, there's the Skype footage that his missus was really upset about because he was uh, some bird. He. Just not one out oh. on Skype. You can find it out there. Spike oh, wow, Sullivan. Yeah, Spike Sullivan tweeted it out. Oh my god! <laughs> that long back. But Khan just ejaculating into some toilet tissue. Excellent. Uh, mm. So is he relevant? Yeah, he brings in big Skype numbers. Right. Uh, right. So he's clearly got a fan base on Pornhub. Be that. <laughs> be that in the uh, dogging community or what? But yeah, um, it really clearly brings in punters, right? <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, no, who gives a fuck about how relevant? Is, I, no, I don't. This is the thing. I don't. I don't want to see him fight anymore. I, he, the difference, the difference that I see between the two fights. Amir stepped up and he fought Canelo. Kelbrook steps up to fight GGG. The difference of them come, them two coming out, in my mind at least, has been has been you know astronomically different. I look at Kelbrook and I think with a newfound sense of respect, like well done, mate, you did yourself proud there. With Amir Khan, I don't feel that way. Why is there such a difference? I think if you break it down, I think Amir Khan is what Kelbrook would like to be, which is a celebrity boxer that doesn't necessarily rely upon going out and getting your eye or your eye broken by Triple G to earn the money. Amir Khan is now set for life. That Canelo fight probably helped do that. Uh, he doesn't necessarily need to fight. So when it comes down to him and Brooke, him and Brooke is just Khan toying with Brooke over the negotiations. And he tweeted the other day about this fight happens when I choose for it to happen. He's toying with him. Oh, Brooke God. needs Khan more than Khan needs Brooke because Khan is set for life. You know, he's a multi-millionaire. Um, you know, you think you'd do better than getting some bird on Skype, but whatever, help yourself, Amir. Um, <laughs> you know, Brooke isn't in that position in life. And, Brooke's still got a legacy to build. I don't think Khan necessarily has a legacy to build. He's almost like a... Uh, you know when you'd watch wrestling when you were younger and they'd bring back like a big name from the past for one-off mm-hmm. appearances? Yeah. That's what Amit Khan's become to me, like a novelty act. Like somebody who... He doesn't necessarily need boxing, but when he chooses boxing, then he'll come back and do something. Is that because he can't really paint any sort of particularly impressive legacy or... Because he doesn't have the capability, or because his record he doesn't, doesn't have, have a legacy. Yeah, I... he he's been a world champion, but he doesn't have a legacy. Is it because he because he can't make one? Then I think it's maybe too late for him now. I think maybe if he was gonna if he was gonna commit himself and do this properly, he should have been doing it three four years ago. Now he's at the point where yes, he's still a big name, and you could roll him out for Canelo. You could roll him out for Kelbrook. You could roll him out for anyone. And it's still a big name. In the same way that Paulie Malignaggi is getting rolled out for Sam Eggington on the Hey Bell You card. Paulie Malignaggi. But everybody knows who Paulie Malignaggi is. 
Although I, I seem to like him more now that I've actually heard him talk and on the yeah, Sky he's a very before. wise bloke. Yeah, um, isn't he? But, you know, like, everyone knows who Paulie Malinaji is. He's a world champion from the past, and yet he's fighting Sam Eggington on the undercard at the O2. It's a bizarre setup. Um, that's kind of where Amir Khan is, that you could bring him out. He's always going to be the headline act. He's going to dictate those terms to be the headline act. But he'll do it on his terms. He doesn't need to be there. Damien Taylor asks, why is Al Heyman so elusive? People name drop him all the time, but do they deal with him directly? And he, and he, he puts E.G. Hearn, which I'm assuming is, does he mean Hearn? Does, does Hearn does deal, Hearn with, deal him? directly with him? Uh, yeah, I believe he does. Uh, Al Heyman is the person in the background who runs the PBC series. Let's look at it at a lower level over here. You've got Richard Poxon, who's in charge of, uh, you know, he's the promoter for ITV. Nobody really sees Richard Poxon necessarily. If you know what Richard Poxon looks like, you'll see him on the front row of the two ITV shows so far. Um, but he doesn't hog the limelight. Hearn is a new breed of boxing promoter in the UK um, in that he hogs the limelight. Now, it, it, he's re- he's relatively similar in that respect to Don King, isn't he? Yeah, probably. No, yeah, only in that respect, I hate to yeah. Add, but, <laughs> yeah. but he likes to get in the limelight just as much as Yeah, yeah, he's, he's as big a headline act as the boxers are, yeah. no doubt about it. Al Heyman is sitting in the background. He's, uh, he's the conduit to it all, essentially. So he's where the money goes through and then the fights come out. He doesn't need to be that um, that headline act that people deal with. Like Vince I, McMahon. <laughs> yeah, but does Hearn deal with him? 100% I believe Hearn would deal with him. Um, you know, like, he's a shrewd money man. He comes from the musical background. If you look into his background, he's got, you know, he's a businessman. He's a Deep down, he's a businessman. He's made lots of money out of the likes of Jay-Z, I believe, in the past, and Beyonce. Um, boxing is a business to him. It's a business where he's making money, presumably, off these PBC contracts or eventually will make money off the PBC contracts. Um, but yeah, I believe 100% he holds the negotiation power when it comes to, you know, Hearn or any other promoter dealing with people that are on those PBC contracts. He's who it goes for. Sam Khan asks, straight cut, chunky, Curly, waffle, or spicy. Are these fries? A new James DeGale um, <laughs> <laughs> potential nicknames? Um, and which dips, if any? One presumes right, it's, it's that she's talking straight. straight so she, I'm assuming. I don't know. Maybe she's talking about what you would prefer to eat. I don't know what event. I like. I like spicy fries in a barbecue sauce. I'm going with, or oh, maybe really? even a salsa sauce, like a, a, a sour cream, maybe something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I think what I'd I'm definitely rolling. more of a sour cream. Uh, yeah, for me, I think it'd probably be. I uh, definitely not a waffle. Not a waffle. Who's eating waffles? I'm assuming this is like watching a boxing uh, match or something like that. Who knows? Just day to day life, isn't it? <laughs> we haven't got details. Yeah, we're filling in a lot of gaps here, Sam. Okay, so do I eat all day straight cut? <laughs> if you could only have one food for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Um, for me, it would definitely be spicy fries. For about a month before you die. If you could get uh, spicy curly fries, they're not on the list, but that's what I like. Because curly fries, I don't know, they've got something about them. They just not what yet, they? Yeah. They're Khan. Yeah. <laughs> without the masturbation. <laughs> With some mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'll have some spicy curly fries of mayonnaise, please. The uh, Amir Khan special. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have an Amir Khan meal. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Right, so that was a really important question. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the is that the end? That must be near the end. That is near the end. Um, so, yeah, all we have left to do 
He's say, uh, just to sort of remind you that we're not going to be around for the next couple of weeks as we put the pod on, as we say, hiatus. Um, Have we got a way of no argue the inarguable as well? It's uh, worked out, right? Well, I can't really say no now. Yeah, all right then. Fine. I can't really say... Um, yeah, because I don't have one. So yeah, you haven't real ones. And no one's come in with one, so you've got away with it. Terry will love me for that. <laughs> um, Favouritism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, Terry, have you enjoyed the podcast? Perhaps. Although I wouldn't necessarily say that. Well, wh- why? Why would you say that? Some people think. Some people talk. Very few people do both. Earlier this week, we had the... I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, the the news, basically, that Michael Watson's vehicle got hijacked. And then he got dragged down the street or something. He got um, him and his... I don't know if it's him and his driver both... Well, his, dri- his, his driver got tossed out the car, and Michael Watson hung onto the side of the car and got dragged down the street. Uh, apparently, he didn't have severe injuries, um, and he was released from hospital later that day. Terry, let us know what you thought about that. Someone carjacked Michael Watson. The fuck kind of sick of world do we live in where you carjack Michael Watson, a man who can't defend himself? And let's take a step back and go, this is Michael Watson, one of the most feared middleweights in this country. So you think psychologically he's there going, if I was, if I was the old Michael Watson, I'd have handled myself. Now I'm being carjacked by these punks. Who are these kids' parents, for fuck's sake? Where do you learn that it's okay to attack not only someone who's a national treasure, a man who represents courage, a man who refused to give up, but probably a man from your neighborhood, a man with your background. Michael Watson's from the East End, for God's sake. It's not like he's rolling in money. Why are you... It's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs, and... It reminds me why we get kids into boxing. We get kids into boxing because we say there's no shortcut to anything in life. And that work ethic translates into everything you do in life. There's a moral code that comes with boxing, which is we're not bullies. We're fighters, we're warriors, we're tough men. We are never, ever bullies. And for me to hear that is distressing. I hope the boxing world at all levels unites to say, let's find the people who did this. Let's deal with them. Let's deal with the families that have created them because that's the question that never gets addressed. Why are these parents not held accountable? For what are essentially scumbags, I don't care if they're black, white, Asian, whatever, these guys are pieces of shit and they're a poor representation of humanity. So anyone that tries to say it's poverty, it's not, it's fucking idiots. You know, you, you're ramming a guy from behind, not even like you looked in the window, saw it was Michael Watson and went, sorry, mate, um, we fucked up. We're just going to get out of here. It's just disgusting. Okay, we've come to the end of the podcast. Um, Martin hasn't done Argue the Inarguable. If that frustrates you, then send some Argue the Inarguables in, and we will get round to doing that next time we are on the pod. We shall be about 12th, I think I said before. Uh, we should be full strength then, I I hope, although there's no guarantees yet. Because well, I've got a show on the 11th that I'm at, so and then I'm... One on the 18th as well, down at York Hall, both yeah, of them. So, so, uh, it's a toss of the coin. So actually, you know what, I'm not going to make any promises. We'll see if my boxing widow wife allows me help for um, the evening to come and play. But uh, that takes us to the end. So thank you very much for listening. Please get in touch uh, via Twitter at New Age Boxing UK at The Seven Wolves to reach Terry and at New Age Podfather to reach me. 
send us in your questions. Send us in if you want. Send us in some reviews, um, just basic reviews on on Twitter. We can maybe put some stuff in regard to the Hey Bell you fights and stuff. I just your thoughts on something stuff we can stick on the podcast to involve you guys. We just want anything and everything that you want to sort of throw in, and we'll find we'll concoct something. So the more creative, the better, I suppose. And all that's left to say is goodbye. Wish Andy safe journeys on his way to America. Bit of snowboarding out there. Mm. Maybe pick up a couple of honeys. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That'd be good, actually, yeah. So if there's any uh, honeys yeah. listening in Detroit right now... In right now. Right now. Uh, there's a limited window of opportunity. I'll be out there, so just wait at the airport. Yeah, get that's, on Tinder. Enough, Please, yeah, like hold up a Andy White Yeah. Just get out, just stand. I don't know what terminal. So just a, a group of you, just all get to each. How long gate. are you there for? Ten days. Yeah. Right. Let's be brutal about this. You've got to be a minimum eight. What in terms of rating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll definitely, yeah. Definitely. You're only there for ten days. You can't be dealing with seven wa- below. I'm not wasting my time no. with troglodytes. No, you're you're a very picky man. I mean, sometimes, but yeah. y- you've been a picky man. Right. Okay. I'm gonna need eights or above, depending on, on my uh, inebriation levels. Yeah. But when you <laughs> land, like yeah. Yeah, unless you've necked it on the. the I'm on Virgin Atlantic, so that you can drink on. I can drink six or above. Yeah, six Six or or above. above. Anyone six or above above Um, in Detroit, male or female? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because after a few, (laughs) if you consider yourself a ten male, why not chance your arm? Yeah, Yeah. because that translates well. (laughs) You got the mystique of being an American man. I'm sure that will be fine. And with that, all right. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. No, really, thank you because that's horrendous. Goodbye.